Hi, my name is Gavin on program staff. You're listening to week one of the False Creek Podcast. The speaker for the week was Curtis Zachary, and we had 4,705 students in attendance. Enjoy. It's been an incredible day today, spending time with so many of you. I have had such an incredible, joy-filled afternoon talking to some of you and hearing your stories, hearing what life looks like for you right now, hearing how God has already been speaking to you while you're here. It's been fun to be hearing some of the questions that you have about God and about the Bible. It's amazing to have a chance to be able to get to know so many of you. And it really feels like this place just breathes this sense of family. It feels like I'm a part of something special just to be here even for this one day. And I love that we're in this together. We're all here hungry and thirsty. And like we talked about yesterday, every single one of us has the same exact hope. We're hoping that our coming here this week will result in God, the God of the universe, the God who made us. We're hoping that this God will speak to us while we're spending time together in his word. I remember reading a quote a long time ago that has helped me to understand what it means for us to go together on this journey of trying to understand who Jesus is. And it says this, when it comes to the Christian life, we are all beginners. Every single one of us are beginners. There are no experts when it comes to following Jesus because we're all hungry and thirsty, seeking for God to show us what he wants us to see about himself. We all need the hope that comes with knowing him. And as we're searching for answers in the midst of this mystery, I think it's important for us to know that we are side by side in this thing. We are walking together, hoping that together we discover the beauty of knowing who Jesus is. You know, I was thinking about coming out here and having a chance to open the word with you again and thinking about through prayer what it is that I would want to say. If I only had one chance to have a, an opportunity to talk to you, what are the things that I would want to roll off of my lips? What are the words that I would want to fall on your ears? And it made me think of this a uh, time that I shared with a new friend, uh, a time that I flew all the way across the country from California to Florida. I was thinking about this time earlier of when I was sitting on an airplane and I had always kind of been a little bit nervous about flying. I don't know if some of you guys are in the same boat. Uh, some of you guys might be uh, crazy veterans in flying, but for me I was always a little bit nervous. 
But then I flew a couple times and I started to get the hang of it and it got to the point where I started to get used to it. I had a unique opportunity to fly around a bunch of different times to different places. So it started to feel more comfortable to me. So I was on this flight. I was in Oakland, California, and we were getting ready to fly all the way to Miami, Florida. Now that's a really long flight if you don't know your geography. So I had gotten used to flying. I had kind of gotten used to the idea of being up in the air and all this stuff. And uh, I had kind of forgotten what it felt like to be nervous on a flight. Well, a new friend came on the plane and he quickly reminded me what it looks like to be nervous when you're flying. He sat down next to me and immediately he put on his seatbelt and he tightened it as far as it could go, right? And we're not even moving yet. And this dude is already buckled in. And I'm telling you, no lie, I could see the perspiration starting to form on his forehead. And when I looked over to talk to him, I said, hey, and he jumped, right? He was so nervous. And I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Is this your first time flying? And he's like, is it that obvious? And I'm like, yes, it is, right? And so we're talking, and I was sitting by the window, and I started to think, maybe this guy needs to sit by the window. It's his first time flying. He should get the experience of seeing outside of the plane when we take off and you go through the clouds. It's really cool, right? And so I say, hey, uh, I was just wondering, I know it's your first time. Do you want to sit by the window? And the look on his face was kind of like Duh, no, right? I think I can fall out of that bad boy, right? He was so nervous. And I said, no, 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 you got to sit by the window. You got to see what it's like to take off. And so he took me up on it. He undid his seatbelt, rebuckled that bad boy right over by the window. And he was so nervous. And so I'm trying to talk to him, ease up his tension, ask him where he's from. Why is he flying from California to Miami? He's telling me a story. We're starting to get to know each other. And I don't know if you've ever been on a plane. You've probably seen, at least on TV, what happens on a plane where somebody gets up in front of the plane. They have this little microphone and they start talking to you and telling you instructions about what you need to know while you're flying on the plane. So we're having this conversation, and this person gets up in the front. Now remember, I've flown a bunch of times, so for me, I wasn't really paying attention. But for this guy, she starts saying there's some instructions that you need to know while you're flying, and the dude straight up turns to me and he goes, shh, right? He's not playing around. He wants to know what this lady's got to say. And so she's up there on the microphone and she's talking about how there are two overwing exits and two exits in the front of the plane and two in the back. And I'm telling you, this dude is like counting to double check, like one, two, three, right? He's like making sure she's not playing around. She starts talking about how your seat can become a flotation device and he's like picking it up and trying to see if it works. Talking about the things that will fall down and go over your face and he's like, wait, that can really happen? And he's getting so freaked out by all these instructions. Now this is what's really interesting. I had flown a bunch of times. I've said this to you a number of times now. The point of me saying that over and over again is that I had gotten used to everything that would happen in the flow of taking off on an airplane flight. 
So what I realized was when this guy shushed me and started listening to the lady in the front, it had been a long time since I had paid attention to what she had to say. Anybody here ever see Charlie Brown before? What it sounded like to me when these people start talking is Charlie Brown's teacher. Everybody know what that sounds like? What does that sound like? Wah, 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 all right? That's what it had become to me. These people talking up in the front, giving these instructions, had kind of become like Charlie Brown's teacher. I had tuned it out, wasn't paying attention, wasn't really listening. I'd heard it so many times that I forgot about the importance of the information. So because this guy was so intentional to listen, I decided, you know what, I'm going to listen along. So I start listening to what this lady has to say. And you know what I realized? The stuff she was saying was pretty important to know. <laughs> like if something went down on the airplane, if it started going bad, I needed to know what she had to say so that I could respond in the way that was proper. You see, I'd allowed the instruction to become background noise. I had become numb to what she was saying because I thought, man, I've heard this so many times. I don't need to listen to this anymore. Anything she has to say, I already know it, and it doesn't have any impact on what's happening for me now. But when I started to listen with fresh ears, and I'm looking over at my new friend, and I see the way that he's locked in to what she's saying, he realizes in a way that I had forgotten that what she has to say is so important when it comes to life or death. <laughs> Everything that she was instructing all the people in had to do with survival in crazy circumstances. And you know what I started to realize in that moment? That's how so many of us approach coming and listening to the teaching about the Bible in the way of Jesus. Some of us have gotten to the point where when we see somebody stand up in the front and they open their Bible and they start to teach, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher to us. We feel like everything they're about to say, I already know this. And whatever information they're going to give me, I know that it doesn't really have any effect on my life right now. But what I started thinking about today when I was praying for all of you, I started thinking about that story and how God reminded me of that idea. And this was the prayer that I prayed for you and I prayed for all of us tonight. Lord, let us hear your story with fresh ears. Let us pay attention and understand that the information that comes from your word has grand implications. It has a big factor when it comes to our life and our death. Help us to hear tonight, God, your word like it's brand new to us. That's our hope. Because when we're investigating this mystery, trying to figure out what this means for our lives, it's important for us to know and understand the glory and the power that comes from the Spirit of God that He, through His work, has provided answers to our questions. 
You know, I start thinking about how there is this plan from the beginning. And it was cool this morning to be able to listen to the teachers that were teaching us about how there was a plan and there was a span and there was a purpose, right? There was this idea that God knew before everything all started what we would need for rescue. And I just wanted to jump back into that story just a little bit tonight. Because we need to remember that the story of the Bible is not just a bunch of words from the past. We are in this story. Some of us are here and we are wondering with very real questions about whether or not this whole Christian thing, this whole Bible thing, this whole Jesus thing really matters for our lives. Because what you're saying is, I have a story. And my story, you have no idea how hard it's been. You have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea how much I've messed up in my story. Many of us are feeling this way. But what I want us to see tonight is that God's story had a plan with you in mind from the very beginning. There's a verse in Colossians chapter 1. And you remember yesterday we said that Jesus, no matter how much mystery we encounter, there is no mystery that he is the star of the show. He is the one who is at the center of all of what we are seeking. And this Jesus has something to do with this beautiful story that we need to remember. It says this in Colossians 1, 15. That he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. You know why this is so important to start with? We need to remember that Jesus, only Jesus, is the source of our salvation. And we also need to remember that Jesus doesn't just show up in the book of Matthew as a little baby in a manger. Did you know that Jesus is God and was there in the beginning when all things were created? This is important to know because Jesus doesn't just show up later on. Jesus is God. And it says right here that Jesus created everything. This is amazing. So let's talk about this story of creation. Let's talk about the way that this thing unfolded. We go back to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. And we see God begin to create some things. And what's amazing about his creation, God speaks and there it is. He says, let there be light and boop, there it goes, right? It turns on. God says, let there be water, let there be animals. God's speaking and things are happening. This is such an, a magnificent idea that God, the creator, simply says something and there it is. And then you keep reading this story of creation. And you realize that in this story, 
it comes to a point where he makes his most prized creation imaginable. It's the human being. And you know what's so crazy about this part of the story? God has been saying stuff, and then it shows up. He speaks, and then he makes it. But when it comes to the human being, it says in the Bible that he actually formed the human. And then it says that he breathed life into his nostrils. See, from the very beginning of this story, God thought differently about us than he did about all other creation. God saw from the very beginning that his desire was to make human beings so that they would be in connection and relationship with him forever. Did you know he made us not just so we could go do stuff, but he made us so he could be with us. God's greatest desire was that we, his creation, would be in our souls satisfied by him forever and ever and ever. And God made the human, made the human a companion, gave them everything that they needed in front of them. He says, go, enjoy everything that I've made. There's just this one thing. There's a tree that I don't want you fooling with. And this tree is called the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. So we know that there's this tree. And what God is saying to them, this is very important. God is saying to the human being that he made that could only be satisfied by him. Don't try to turn to something else to satisfy your longings. I am the only one who can satisfy you. God says, don't mess with the tree because I am all you need. And what's amazing is the human beings knew this and understood it. It says in the Bible that they were flourishing. They were living together in rhythm with God. But then we know in Genesis chapter 3, the greatest problem in the whole Bible enters into the story. And this problem is called sin. It says in Genesis 3, Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Stop right here. This right here shows us how we as human beings respond when it comes to temptation. Now, I don't know about you guys because you guys are like super spiritual and stuff, right? But for me, this is a picture of how we are so so easily deceived. What we see right here is the serpent who is the enemy rolling up on Eve and says, Eve, did God really say you shouldn't mess with these trees? Eve does a good job at first saying, no, God said we can eat the trees. We just can't eat that one. And it's almost like the enemy was like, all right, cool, you got that one. 
And this is what happens. Has this ever happened to you? Where you stand up to temptation and you feel proud of yourself. And you know that you did what was right. And that temptation got smacked down and you were like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the temptation that got stopped here kind of goes around the back door. And all of a sudden, you weren't ready for that one right there. And that's what we see. Eve stands up strong and says, no, God did say we could eat of the trees, just not that one. And then the enemy says this. But don't you know why he said this? It says the serpent said to the woman, you will not die if you eat from that tree. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you know what the great temptation of the human being was? It was that if they ate of this tree, they could be just like God. And what the enemy used as the temptation was not that they would just be satisfied by what this fruit would taste like. It wasn't that they would just be satisfied in their tummies and that they wouldn't be hungry. What he tempts the human being with is the idea that they could have the same power that God has. And the reason that God doesn't want you to mess with it is because he doesn't want you to be like him. And you know what's crazy? It was too much temptation for human beings to withstand. And we know, because we keep reading the story, that the human beings ate of the tree that God forbid them from eating. And in eating from that tree, sin enters into the story. They sought to satisfy themselves with a source that is different than the God who made them. God created us so that we would only be satisfied by him. But how many times in our lives can we relate to what these people were struggling with in their temptation? Because even though we were made to be satisfied by a God who is eternal and perfect and beautiful, we try to satisfy that same longing with things that are not perfect, not eternal. Stuff that is right here on this earth and will satisfy us for a moment, but will go away and we will long for more. And what God was trying to get us to see from the beginning of the story was we will only be satisfied in our souls, in our hearts, in our longings when we connect to who he is. And from the very beginning, humanity chose to try to satisfy itself with a longing that was only made for God with stuff that just is not God. This is our problem. So when sin enters into the story, what I want you to know is this. Sin has been woven, it's like sewn into your DNA from when you were born because humanity made this decision back then. Now why is that an important point to make? It's important because you need to know that your story is woven into, meshed together, all jumbled up with God's story. And from the very beginning, God had a plan to save what was drowning, to rescue what was dying. 
Because from that moment when humanity tried to satisfy itself by going to the tree, do you know that as you keep reading through the Bible, you keep going into the next books in First and Second Kings and the Chronicles and you go to Psalms and Isaiah and you look at all these Old Testament books and you see human beings trying in their own strength to connect back to God in the way that they had been designed to be connected to him from the beginning. But sin separated us from God. And you know what that means for us? Us as human beings? Us who are regular people just trying to do the best that we can in our lives. What that means for us is because sin separates us from God, we actually have no hope of living a good life in our own strength. That's pretty crazy to say. I know that there are a lot of things that are happening in this world that are good things for good people. I know that there are a lot of things that we can do in our strength that feel like, man, that's a really good thing. What are you talking about? What the Bible says is that because I am infected with this whole sin curse thing, I am actually separated, and not only separated, but an enemy to the God who made me. Now that's kind of heavy right there because that moves it out of the realm of, yeah, sometimes I mess up. Yeah, sometimes I don't do the right thing. Yeah, sometimes I look at what I'm not supposed to on the internet. Yeah, sometimes I send text messages that might not be real appropriate. Yeah, sometimes I take a little bit of money from my mom's purse. Yeah, sometimes. And we look at these things as just these little imperfections that are a part of our lives. What I'm trying to get us to see is it's not just about how good are we on the scale. What it's telling us is unless Jesus rescues us, we are separated from God forever, period. What does that mean? Well, it's like this. Imagine if I was studying to pass a test. How many good test takers do we have out here? You got any good test takers? Any of uh, y'all like me who are like terrible at taking tests right here? All right, y'all my people. All right, check this out. Imagine if I decided, all right, this time, this time I'm not playing around. I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to study for this test and I'm going to get a good grade. So the teacher tells us what the test is on. I start taking notes. I'm studying at home. I got note cards. I'm quizzing myself. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Reading while I'm eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I am locked in. This test will not beat me. I'm going to get a good grade on this test. I give everything that I have all of my effort, all of my energy, all of my focus, I'm going to pass this test. And imagine I show up in the class, and I sit down in the chair, and the teacher begins to pass out the papers. And as soon as I get the paper, I turn it over, and I'm confident. I'm looking at these answers. I studied so hard. I know this stuff like the back of my hand. And I start just answering all the questions, and I start ripping off answers, and I'm just going for it, and I'm flying through, and I'm the first one in the class done. I stand up, turn in my paper, and I walk out like I'm a bad man, right? So imagine I turn in my test. I worked so hard. I put in so much effort. I gave everything that I have, every bit of ability that I could put into passing this test, I've done it. Now imagine I come back the next day, 
And I'm confident because I know that when we get these papers back, I'm going to be celebrated. And I sit down in my chair and I'm looking around with a cheesy grin because I'm like, man, I'm about to get a good grade on this test. I finally studied one time. Here we go. And she starts passing out the papers. And she comes to my desk and she gives me the paper face down. I don't know if y'all ever got it like that, but maybe it was just me because I got a lot of bad grades. But she puts the paper face down, boom, keeps on moving. I'm excited. I flip over the paper, look in the top left corner, 99. And I'm like, yeah, boy, right? 99, that's not bad for a dude who doesn't know how to take tests. I look at this test, I have a 99 in the corner of the paper. I'm cheesing big. I look at that 99, I see it circled. I look at the top right corner of the paper, and it says F. What? Hold on, man. I just gave every bit of effort that I have to this test. I poured all of myself into it. I gave every bit of energy into studying. I see on the paper that there's a 99. In my mind, I know that a 99 should be enough to pass, let alone be an A, right? I see 99. I look over in the corner and I see F. And I raise my hand immediately and I say, hold up, wait a minute. I need you to explain to me how this can be an F. And she proceeds to say, if you even get one point of the test wrong, you fail the test. <laughs> how many people feel like, I got a teacher that's almost like that right there. <laughs> if you fail... In one point of the test, the whole thing gets thrown out in the trash. It's not good enough. You need to be perfect to get an A. Man, how devastating is it to think that it would be so expected that your life would have to be perfect in order for you to pass. You know what we should say in that moment? It's exactly what I would say. That is impossible. It's not possible for a human being to be perfect. Even if I try the best that I can, if I'm a good person to other people, if I carry grandma's groceries, if I give away money, if I help people out, I can never be perfect. But do you know that in the Bible... It tells us that if we want to be rescued from that whole sin thing that separates us from God, it says in Matthew 5.48 that we need to be perfect just like the Father in heaven is perfect. Now some of us might be stopping right here and going, wait a minute. See, that's not what I've heard. I heard that me being imperfect still has hope to go to heaven. Well, you do. Well, wait a minute, you just said that I couldn't do anything to earn my way to heaven. Well, you can't. Come on, dude, you're messing with my mind here, right? I don't understand. You're saying I can't be good enough, but you're saying there's a way for me to know Jesus. Yes, 
Jesus, who is God, broke into our story. And when we were separated from God because of our sin, he took on human flesh and lived the life that you and I could never live. He lived perfectly obedient to his father. And for 33 years, he said yes to God in the way that no human being can. And then it says, at the end of his life, he took on the sin of the world and was crucified on a cross for Things he did not do, sins he did not commit. And he did this not because he was wrong, but because he knew this was the only way that we imperfect human beings could ever find life again. And Jesus dies on a cross and he's buried in a real tomb. Three days later, he gets up out of the grave. And when he does this, he defeats sin and death. And the thing that separates us from God from the beginning of the story is is now satisfied. This is what's so beautiful. Many of us have heard that Jesus died on the cross for us. This is why it's important, my friends. You see, when God looks at us and he sees us in our sin, he can have nothing to do with us. It's not because he doesn't want to be with us. It's because a perfect and holy God can have nothing to do with the sinfulness that infects our lives. But it says in the Bible that if you, that if I believe that Jesus died so that we could live, if we confess our sin, if we say that Jesus has done the work on the cross that I could never do, Jesus has earned the righteousness that I could never have, this is what happens. God, who used to look at me and see me in my sin and be separated from me, now he looks at me and he sees Jesus, who is perfect and is righteous. And because he is perfect, he now makes it so that I can live. This is good news. You know why it's good news? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says... He himself is our peace. And he tore down the wall between us and God. This is what I want us to know tonight. I'm telling you this story and I'm telling you that we're a part of this story. That God made us so that we could be connected with him. Sin enters into our story and separates us from the God who made us. And friends, what I want you to know is the longing of your heart that you've been trying to satisfy with the secret things that you think nobody knows about, the stuff that you've been giving yourself to on the internet, the ways that you've been lying to try to make yourself better than what you think. You have gone to places where you've hurt yourself so that you would feel some sort of satisfaction. You are in relationships and doing things that you know that you shouldn't just so you can feel loved. All of the things that you've been doing in secret, trying to find some sort of belonging can only be found in the God of the universe through the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what I want to extend to you tonight. I want to extend to you an opportunity to finally realize that the story of the Bible is not just a fable that we tell each other so we feel better. The story of the Bible and the work of Jesus is the way that you and I will be rescued from the death that comes from sin. Some of us tonight are here 
And we have been in a place where we've been searching. We've been trying to understand whether or not this is something that is for us. What I want to tell you tonight is, if you're lonely, if you're hurting, if you feel lost, you feel broken, you feel pain, you feel like you will never be good enough, you'll never measure up, you feel like you don't know who you are, that you don't know your identity, if you don't know that there is life in salvation through Jesus Christ, if you've been feeling like all hope is gone, if you feel like life is over, if you feel like the world is too much, what I'm telling you right now is the thing that you are longing for in your heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I know that there are a lot of people here tonight. But I know that for some of us, these words are coming right to our hearts like we're the only one in the room. And for you, tonight I want to give you a chance to find hope and rescue in Jesus. I would love for everyone to stand with me. And as you stand, I just invite you to close your eyes for a minute. As your eyes are closed right now, I just want you to be asking this question. God, are you speaking to me right now? As everybody's eyes are closed, I want to just extend this opportunity to you. If you've been feeling like life is hopeless and you feel like there is nothing left for you in this world, you've tried everything, you've turned to different things, you feel like there is an absolute understanding that the only way that you will be satisfied in your heart and your soul is through connecting to God, then this is your time. If you have hidden sin in your heart and you've been saying, I know that I need to find a way to be rescued from this life that I've been living on my own. If you've never accepted the truth that Jesus is our salvation, now is your time. Everybody's eyes are closed. And while everyone's eyes are closed, I just want to give you a chance before God to confess that you realize that you're a sinner. So right now, this is what I want to do. I want to give you a chance to respond. God is calling you. If you have never connected with Jesus, if this is the first time that you are saying, I know that I need salvation. I know that I need Jesus. I know that I want to be saved. What I want you to do right now is just raise your hand where you are. You're saying, this is the first time I know that I want to be saved. I want to be rescued. Well, if that's you, I just want to 
ask you to take this next step of boldness, I just want to invite you to come. Just come down to the front and bring yourself before your rescuer, the Savior, before Jesus. No one's looking at you, just come. If that was you. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I want you to continue to pray and ask God to show you what he's saying to you. Thanks for listening.